Greetings, everyone. This is Peter Diager with the 10th episode of Y2K and Autobiography, a look back at what really happened in Y2K and an attempt to reclaim the narrative from the media. Session today, we're going to talk about something that is complicated. It rarely got mentioned in the media because it's complicated. When you're doing a media interview, you've got to dumb everything down. The problem to that we're going to discuss today is the embedded system problem. What is that, you ask? Good question. Before I get there, I'm all stuffed up, as you can tell, which is also the reason why this has been a little bit late, because I was hoping it would go away and I can get the recording done. It hasn't gone away, and I need to get this up and running. The embedded system problem is interesting. And no, it's not a cell phone embedded in concrete. It speaks to the fact that in all, nearly all electronic systems, there are computers. They're all over the place. And even in your computer, there are other computers. There's a computer to manage the time. There's hardware code, an embedded system, if you want, that takes care of the input-output processes for your CD drive. There are little computers, hardware doodads, that take care of other things inside your computer. And Y2K affects some of them. This will also highlight that Y2K was not just a two-digit year problem. There were many other problems surrounding the turnover to the century. Uh, they were there for a variety of reasons, some of which are very, very difficult to justify. So the embedded system problem, well, it starts with your PC. Back in 1994, December, I wrote an article for Info Canada called Embrace the Future, Let Go of the Past. And in that article, I challenged the reader to do a very, very simple test of their computer to see if it could handle the year 2000. Here's the test. Now, you may want to try it on an existing computer, maybe the one that you're listening to this on, but it's going to be very, very unlikely that you're going to get a negative result with a modern computer modern. This is happening back in 1994. It's less than, you know, it's 26 years ago. Not that long ago, quarter of a century. But a modern computer shouldn't have these problems. Here was the test. I asked the, the reader to turn on their computer and then set the date to December 31st, 1999, about two to three minutes before midnight, and then to switch off their computer. Switching off the computer was important. Uh, it wouldn't go wrong if you didn't switch it off, which was not an unreasonable request because most people, when they leave the office, turn off their computer. You wait five minutes, you turn the computer back on. Now, if your computer was okay, it would give you the expected result. It should come back and say, today's date is January the 1st, a couple of minutes past midnight, 2000. That is not what people found. What they found was that the vast majority of personal computers that they were using failed. They came back with the ridiculous date of January the 1st, 1980. Now, I have the receipts. After that article was published, over the next couple of weeks, I received numerous responses, emails, a lot of faxes. That's how old this is. Remember, we're very, very old here talking about Y2K. It was more than a quarter of a century ago. I got lots of faxes. Some of them are still readable. More than 100 responses. The failure rate 
was 95%. Minimum, 95%. There were a couple of very, very smug people, and I don't blame them, who had Macintoshes or Amigas because they didn't have the problem. There were some older, other IBM PC type computers, a Gateway 2000 didn't have problems. IBM ValuePoint 486s, 486 is a processor in case you don't know, didn't have problems. And the IBM PS2 Model 50 didn't have a problem. All of these things came back with the correct date. But most computers came back with January the 1st, 1980. That was the vastly the most common. There were a couple of other anomalies, outliers, uh, as respect to the date, uh, 1984, a couple of other dates. We can ignore them for the moment. The computers, some of them couldn't accept the year 2000. So it comes back with 1980, and you say, oh, that's right, it's wrong. I need to reset the time. I'm going to set it to January the 1st, 2000. And the computer simply wouldn't accept 2000. But those that did, and there were some that did, started to create file names. You see, the date's one thing, and then what you do with the date is something else entirely. The computer system might accept the year 2000, but when it tries to do other things with that date, it creates basically corrupt file creation dates. And then along comes your accounting program, and it can't access the file because the file name is incorrect because of the file corruption. Now, this was one of the very, very first hard proofs, demonstrations that we had, that year 2000 was going to cause a problem. Now, if you hadn't switched off the computer, it rolls over fine, except it started to create the incorrect file creation dates. Even though it rolled over okay, it couldn't really manage that date in all the processes that tapped into that particular date. Now, why is this happening? Well, it's not a Y2K problem in the normal sense, because that weird date, January the 1st, 1980, has got nothing to do with a two-digit year. If it was, we'd be expecting something like 1900. If that had come back, that would be a two-digit year problem. Because of the 2000, it wouldn't have all the four digits, it would only have the zero, zero, so they would interpret it as 1900. That's not what's happening. Turns out that in your computer, there's a counter, there's a clock, no, it's not really a clock, there's a timer, something clicking off the seconds, the passing seconds, and that clicking over is stored in a counter. And basically, the counter was set to be zero on January the 1st, 1980, at some particular time of the day. So it's ticking over, tick, 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 and the counter is increasing. One, two, three, four, five. Now, it's a large number. It's counting off all the seconds. But it's not large enough. It might have had eight digits or nine. I don't, can't remember, and it's not really important, is it? Whatever it was, the counter wasn't big enough. So eventually the counter gets to nine, 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 nine. And it clicks over once more and it goes to zero. And it says, oh, zero seconds have passed since January the 1st, 1980. And that's what it reports. That counter, that number, is then converted into a date, a Julian date, year, month, day by some other process inside the computer. But this is the old garbage in, garbage out. 
if you hand this date conversion, counter conversion program zero, it's going to come back with a perfectly valid date, January the 1st, 1980. And if your system is an inventory system or a payroll accounting system or a banking system and you're using a PC, then on January the 1st, year 2000, your programs would not have worked. Now, a lot of people said, and, and rightly so at the time, oh, it doesn't matter, I'll have replaced my computer by then. And that's true. But the reality is, is that someone, somewhere along the line, has to make the changes to the system, otherwise there would have been problems. There were, like I said, more than 100 responses. And a lot of them wanted something along the lines of, my God, I've been listening to you talking about Y2K. I didn't believe a word you said. And here it is, I have a Y2K problem on my machine. We have to get this fixed. This little article generated a flood of emails and messages and lawyers' notes to various vendors around the world that said you need to fix this. And the way it was fixed was with the operating system. Basically, the operating system figured out how to make the conversion, how to figure out that it's not January the 1st, 1980, and resulted in the correct calculations, the correct dates. Now, all of this is happening in something called a BIOS, B-I-O-S. Now, there's the definition of that, the way, what it stands for is Basic Input Output System, B-I-O-S. I've always thought of it as, as simply Basic Operating System. You know, Built-in Operating System, B-I-O-S. That's not what it stood for. It was Basic Input Output Systems. So, right off the bat... The, emb the embedded system problem is real. We've demonstrated it tens of thousands of times around the world. 95% failure rate of all PCs. But that's not the only embedded system problem that people were beginning to worry about. Ed Jordan and Jennifer Jordan put together this book called Time Bomb 2000. And it's an interesting book because it takes the embedded system problem and raises concerns about it. Well, the same way I did. But it started to raise concerns about the problem in areas that most people had not raised it. I'm actually going to read from it, to be fair. I won't misquote it. I'm going to read from it. A more likely example of a date-related problem is the embedded computer system that keeps track of elapsed time and or mileage since the car was last serviced. These computers are normally reset by a technician each time a car is brought in for servicing, so that it can begin counting down again. When the counter reaches zero, an audible alarm is sounded or a red light is flashed on the dashboard. While this is obviously not a fatal problem, it could take a driver by surprise if it occurs at the stroke of midnight on December 31, 1999. It could also lead to a number of unnecessary visits to the auto service center to fix the problem. Now, it's interesting. I've had owned a car for a large portion of my life. I didn't always get it back in at the, the right time to get it fixed, to be, you know, the maintenance schedule. I never had a red light come up in my car. It never caused me a problem. I don't think that I'm the only one who's let a car sit longer without maintenance than others. Not the best practice, but I never had that problem. They go on. Some percentage of onboard automobile 
microcomputers are probably dice-sensitive. Notice the word probably. And some percentage of these sensitive computers are carrying out mission-critical functions, fuel mixture, for which a sudden failure could have life-threatening consequences. We don't know which cars might be subject to such a problem. For what it's worth, none of the major automobile companies anywhere in the world have yet published any guarantee or even informal assurances that their automobiles are year 2000 compliant. That's a true statement. They didn't. But the reason they didn't had not necessarily anything to do with the year 2000 compliance of the system. Ask a lawyer to write up a letter that guarantees to all your clients that you will never make a mistake. And the lawyer will gasp in dismay at the very notion of providing a hard guarantee that no problems will happen. Why? Because on the elf chance that something might happen, does happen, that letter will damn you in the courts. This was one of the problems, is that lawyers were protecting their clients. Not because they knew there was a problem, but they're not going to hand a jury hard evidence that, you know, there was a guarantee made. Continue. The good news, if one can call it that, is that the vast majority of year 2000 problems in these embedded automobile systems will occur right at the stroke of midnight on December 31st, 1999. After all, there are no business-oriented billing systems in an automobile and no databases to corrupt. If something goes wrong, it's likely to go wrong right away. Regardless of whatever assurances or warranties the automobile manufacturers may eventually publish, we think that simple prudence dictates that you stay off the highway at midnight on that fateful New Year's Eve. In the best of cases, your car will work, and so will all the other automobiles on the road. In the more plausible situation, one or two of the cars on the highway, and hopefully not yours, will experience some type of malfunction which would cause them to behave erratically, and in the worst of cases, it could be your car that suddenly shuts down while you're hurtling down the highway at 60 miles an hour. Fair enough. Interesting speculation, except for one small problem. There was not one single example of this happening. With the embedded system problem on the PC I just discussed, where we have one more than 100 examples of the problem, none of these speculations ever evidenced itself. None of them came to light. One of the things I did with the website, the year2000.com website and the mailing list, was to put out a challenge to anybody who found an embedded system that didn't accept a date from the user and nevertheless failed because of a date problem. This, the website got a lot of hits. It had a lot of publicity. It was read worldwide. And there were a lot of people trying to prove that the problem was far, far bigger than we had evidence for, raising these concerns. But the issue was that no one ever found one. I came up, and I'll repeat it in a little while, a, a basic rule of thumb for figuring out whether a system had an embedded system, could possibly have an embedded system problem. We had no evidence of them. These were the imagined problems. And I realized that a lot of Y2K was talking about what if. What if this happened? What if this failed? A large part of Y2K was about that. But in most of the situations, the, the what-if was based on some evidence. 
we could demonstrate that year com that computers had year 2000 problems. It was less evident that we had a large number of embedded system problems. That's not to say we didn't have any, because we did. The difference between the real and imagined, or rather the consequences of the real and imagined, is that nearly every single computer system out there, every single electronic gadget and device was now suspect. And we had to figure out what was real and what was imagined. And that was nearly impossible to do at the time. In Datamation, June 1997, I wrote an article called The Snake in the Silicon, where we started to look at some of the real-world proven problems with embedded systems. Now, some of them are absolutely bizarre. One of the reasons to do this podcast series is to demonstrate how much we depend upon computers, because I don't think people really understand how much we rely and what relies on the network of computers that is all around us, even if we can't see them. One of the most creative things we've ever done is we've created a system, because it is a system, it's not just one gadget, that will tell you exactly where you are on the planet. The GPS system, Global Positioning System. There are satellites up in the air, they beam down information. We have devices on the ground that pick up that information from several satellites, that's how it works, and then do a triangulation, a way of figuring out where those particular satellites are in relation to us. And if we have that information, we can figure out where we are on the Earth. This is important. Well, once upon a time, well, once upon a time, we didn't know where we were when we're sailing a ship. And if you don't know where you are when you're sailing a ship, really, really bad things can happen. Well, how safe is that system? How reliable is it? It's not as reliable as everybody thinks. And the reason for it not being as reliable is astounding when you think of it. In August of 1999, we had a problem with the GPS system. Remember that counter system I spoke about on the PC? There was a similar one with all the GPS satellites. On August 22nd, 21st, 1999, we had a rollover problem. When it clicked over from 22nd of August to the 23rd, or rather from 21st to the 22nd, it didn't go to the right date. It tripped over and it went to 6th of January, 1980. That number is very, very close to the PC number, isn't it? PC number of failure was January the 1st, 1980. This one is January the 6th, 1980. Are they connected? Yeah, pretty much. Same concept. There's a counter in the satellite. The counter is ticking off the number of seconds past a particular point in time. And on the 22nd of August, 1990, it tripped over. <laughs> That's a problem. Because if you don't have the time right, you may not be able to figure out where you are. And if you're a ship sailing on the great big blue sea, and you don't know where you are, you're in danger. The best thing you could have done is stop 
the ship, throw down an anchor, no matter where you are. You need a long anchor in some parts of the world. And stop moving until you figure out where you are. And my guess is most captains, most sailors today, have no idea how to do that. We used to be able to do it if we had a really accurate clock and you knew how to take a noon reading and a couple of other little techniques, something called a sextant and a couple of other things, then you'd be able to figure out where you are. If you know where you are, you can move. Back in the day, <laughs> back in the day, October the 22nd, 1707, Silly Isles, four British warships were lost, more than 2,000 souls. Why? Because they ran aground. They didn't know where they were. They ran into a shoal. They ran into rocks and they died. That's what we depend upon. We depend upon the GPS for our lives. Now, part of the problem, if you continue reading, is that although it appears that the GPS broadcasts do contain sufficient data to ensure that navigation need not be affected by rollover in 1999, it is not proven that the firmware in all receivers, that's always the problem, isn't it? It is not proven that the firmware in all receivers will handle the rollovers in stride. Some receivers may claim wrong locations. Now, to the best of my knowledge, that, that information, by the way, if anybody wants to check the receipts, is from www.navcen.uscg.gov. Just search for it. GPS rollover, August 1999. See, here's the problem. When the GPS system is up there, people are given the instructions on how to read the signals and go off and make your own devices. They do that. But there's no central body that verifies that the device you create is going to be able to read it properly and do the right calculations. And it's not helped when the rollover affects the satellites, the signals are affected, and you're depending upon these devices. Now, one of the easier solutions was to go out and get an updated device, even if it's a mobile one. Your cell phone most probably has all the information that you need. But you have to know that something's wrong before you decide to stop relying on the systems in the ship and start relying on the system in your pocket. This is significant. Now, a question that comes to my mind, and it may come to your mind, who's in charge? Whose bright idea was it to put up a satellite that we know is going to be up there for a fair bit of time. They're also rather difficult to send up a repair truck. Who puts up a system that is going to crash and not work properly on 22nd of August 1999? You would think that if you're putting up a system that it isn't going to have an expiry date in a satellite. But it would appear that Y2K type of thinking, using a two-digit year rather than four, creating a counter that expires before the life of the device expires, is a rather common short-sighted thought process. This is why I've always been embarrassed by the Y2K problem. It's a silly problem. And GPS signals that fail because of a rollover problem seem even sillier to me. So here's another example of an embedded system that actually caused a problem. To the best of my knowledge, quick update, to the best of my knowledge, not a single ship was lost. The warning got out there early enough that people were able to validate things and make whatever changes they needed to make. 
But if the warning hadn't gone out, then there would have been incidents. Significant. If you've got a oil tanker with I don't know how many millions of barrels of oil they have, or whether that's even the right number, I haven't checked into it. But I'm pretty sure that if you owned that oil tanker, that you took the necessary steps to make sure that it doesn't get lost. After all, it's money, and we can't afford to lose that. Cynicism? Yeah, a little bit. Other questions were raised. There were rumors about tractors that wouldn't start on January the 1st. Lots of cases of digital calculator-type watches that failed on January the 1st, or failed in the year 2000. The ones that failed in year 2000 quite often failed because they didn't know how to calculate a leap year. There were a lot of leap year problems around the year 2000 for various reasons. Some of those leap year problems were embedded system problems. The car issues, I never heard of a single significant car problem due to an embedded system. But at the time, it was difficult to confirm or deny because the lawyers wouldn't let you put out a letter that says, hey, we're good. And if you did have a problem, chances are the organization wouldn't tell you. They wouldn't report it because that does all types of negative things to their reputation. We did have problems with other embedded systems. The Australia Y2K coordinator had a report that identified an iceberg raid system. It's a computer storage system. December 30th, 1996, had a problem due to a leap year problem. And that was an embedded processor, microcomputer processor, in another computer or in another device that didn't know what day it was at the end of the year. Sometimes leap year problems, while they occur on February the 29th or 28th or March 1st, they don't make themselves known until the end of the year because they're counting the number of days in the year. And the number of days in the year is fine until you get to the end of the year. And then you either have one too many or one too few. In either case, it's garbage in and garbage out. There were other problems. Again, leap year problems. Why we can't figure out what a leap year is correctly confounds me. It's not that difficult a calculation. If the year is divisible by four, it's a leap year. Unless it's divisible by 100, in which case it's not a leap year anymore. Unless it's also divisible by 400, in which case it is a leap year again. That's it. To the best of my knowledge, maybe I'm wrong. There are no more leap year calculations. But every single leap year, we have leap year calculation problems. The 1996 uh, for the Brussels Stock Exchange failed. It had a leap year problem. There were aluminum smelters in New Zealand and Tasmania that had leap year problems. This would seem to me to be one of the key questions on a computing exam to determine whether or not you're going to be allowed near a computer to do any programming, especially for things that matter. Again, a little bit of cynicism, a little bit of tiredness for silly errors that happen in the IT industry and make the whole, most of us look bad. Shell Expro, a large shell oil company, have, well, they have oil rigs in the North Sea. And in the North Sea, the way it works is as follows. They drill at the seabed and then they put pipes in and then they shuttle the oil from the wellhead to the to the top or wherever else it is going. You know, one of the things I have to make sure of is 
The pressure in those pipes, is it too high? Is it too low? Temperature in the pipes, is it too high? Is it too low? And the way they figure that out are with sensors. Now, Shell decided that the embedded system problem was significant enough, real enough, that they had to test everything that they could possibly test. Now, to the best of my knowledge, they found nothing significant. I heard a story, I do not know how true, but it rings true, especially given the source where I heard it from, is that there were sensors on the, on the seabed that did have a date problem. And the way they fixed the problem, they did not send down repairmen to the bottom of the North Sea. Way too expensive. So they figured out, look, we'll, we'll take the data in the way we've always taken it in, and we will inform code the computers on the top how to interpret that data correctly. In other words, the data is coming in. We know it's a problem, but given the date, the date in the real world versus the date that this thing is reporting, we can make the unnecessary assumptions to use the data regardless of the date tagging that was going on on the data that they were collecting. So they bypassed the problem, no biggie. Again, once again, they found a problem. If they hadn't fixed it, there would have been an issue. Imagine if Y2K hadn't happened, I mean the awareness projects for Y2K, and Shell had done nothing. Imagine the North Sea oil field with pipes bursting because the pressure in the pipes was incorrect. It wasn't maintained, it wasn't monitored, it wasn't controlled correctly. What would have been the cost, both financial and environmental, if all the pipes in the North Sea oil field had failed. Something to consider. It's not just that oil company that had problems. BP Amico, the Alliance Refinery. Joe Glenn III was a project manager there. And this is what he wrote in this, well, this is what he quoted in an interview for CNN Money, February the 23rd, 1999. This computer automated system controls the production of almost 3 million gallons of gasoline per day. BP tested the system in March of 1998 and found it was not Y2K compliant. Their determination was that if it was left unfixed, the system would have shut down gasoline production here at the turn of the century. That's a quote from Joe Glenn III, project manager. You know, we get told all the time that Y2K was nothing. There was a hoax, it was a scam. Nothing happened. Well, the reason nothing happened was that Joe Glenn found a problem and fixed it. If Joe Glenn had been negligent and not looked, found, and fixed, there would have been a significant gasoline shortage, at least from this one refinery, on January the 1st, 2000. The embedded system problem was real. And it was real not only at the time, but it was real in hindsight. You know, when I do the article and I say, turn off, you know, set the date, turn off your computer, wait five minutes and turn it on, it's a very trivial test. Well, that's the same type of test that these organizations were doing. They were verifying that the systems they relied upon would continue to work in the year 2000. And many, many times they found problems. And once they found it, they attempted to fix them. Because they fixed them, 
We had no problems in the year 2000, or rather very, very few. Now, some of the embedded system stories were somewhat amusing. There was one I got involved in, the fire ladder that couldn't, <laughs> the fire ladder that couldn't get it up. It was a fire wagon uh, that had one of those extendable ladders. And this is a what I call a Teotwaki tall tale. If you haven't heard that phrase before, Teotwaki. T-E-O-T-W-A-W-K-I. The end of the world as we know it. The rumor was out there and repeated everywhere that this fire truck would be affected by the year 2000. Why? I have no idea. But it did do the circuit. It was repeated all over the place. Now, what happened was actually very simple. The fire part department was doing due diligence. And they were saying, where do we have embedded systems? In other words, where do we have anything that is controlled by a computer? And they identified a whole bunch of different devices. One of the devices was a fire truck where the ladder was controlled by remote control. In other words, a computer. And you use the remote control to extend the ladder. That was raised as a possibility, and rightly so. But then it got dis miscommunicated at an event by one of the people from this fire department in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And they mistakenly said there was a problem. It was an error. It was a, he misspoke. And all of a sudden, everybody was writing about it. And it got all the way up to Congress. Uh, this is the report, year 2000 problem, fourth report by the Committee on Government Reform and Oversight, together with additional views. Da -da -da -da. The image that I have is dated November the 20th, 1999, or rather 1998, I think. And it got picked up by various people, Congress people, a lot of news reports. And I'm listening to this, and it makes absolutely no sense to me that this thing would be affected by a date. One of the key problems with embedded systems, the, the one area where things could go awry is this maintenance issue. If an embedded system is counting the days since maintenance last occurred, and then raising a signal, um, a fail-safe type signal that says this hasn't been maintained for X number of days, let's say 100 days, then you shouldn't be continuing to use it. And the fail-safe mechanism might be you can no longer use it if it hasn't been maintained for, you know, in the last 100 days. So it shuts down. This was the one area that was always a possibility. There were a couple of systems like this. And the fail-safe notion was stop using it after this particular date if it hasn't been maintained. That it was the only way I could see this fire truck not being able to extend the ladder. And even that one didn't seem right to me. It just fundamentally didn't seem right. So more of the data. 
Mr. Walker also discussed testing the year 2000 status of equipment on their fire trucks. To their dismay, it turned out that water pumps, the mechanisms operating their ladders, and a variety of other equipment on the trucks all depend on embedded systems. Embedded chips is the phrase. The result is that Baton Rouge will need to conduct expensive and difficult testing in order to know whether the fire trucks will be ready for the year 2000. This is a fine illustration of how the Y2 problem Y2K problem can arise where you least expect it. Now, the problem with that statement is just because something depends upon an embedded system does not mean that there is any dismay involved. We use embedded systems everywhere. I have one on my coffee making machine. It tells me that, well, it tells the computer, it tells the coffee pot, it's all the same thing, right? That at seven o'clock in the morning, start making coffee for me. It's a timer. But if it failed, who cares? Nobody cares. No one cares if your VCR machine dies. VCR. Peter, you're getting very old. No one cares if your digital video recorder fails. Unless, of course, and this is where it gets tricky, right? If your video recorder, regardless of what type it is, is monitoring something in an oil refinery, then it had better work. Otherwise, why is it monitoring it? So the same computer that runs your home digital recorder might be used somewhere else. The fact that it fails in your home is irrelevant. But if it failed in an oil refinery, that's a different situation. But this re report about the fire truck, the fact that something's using an embedded system is, is of no consequence unless it depends upon a date inside that system. So at this point, we've seen problems that were real and demonstrable. We could, we could demonstrate them. And other problems that have nothing to do with, you with the year 2000, the two-digit year problem, and other problems that Okay, it uses an embedded system, but there is no issue. So we can take a little bit of color off this snake in the silicon. Throughout all of this, I'm doing my best, and as are others, to determine is there a rule of thumb, a simple way of looking at embedded systems that could alleviate a lot of the concern, and perhaps, in appropriate circumstances, a lot of the need for testing. And we came up with a very, very simple statement. The statement was this, if you cannot set the time on a device, if you, the user, have no way to set the time on a device, then you simply cannot have a time-related problem. And it's a very simple idea. If it's not using the time, well, if it is using the time, well, you have to be able to set it. If you can't set it, then it doesn't matter what time of day it is or what time of the year it is. It only matters if you can somehow set it to be accurate. If you can't set it at all, it's likely that it doesn't rely on it. And therefore, you can't have a time-related problem. Now, the problem here is, is that the people who are speaking about Y2K were very, very cautious in guarantees. Sort of like the lawyers for the automobile organization we're not going to give you a guarantee, 100% certainty. Why? Because we know enough to know that we don't know everything. 
We know enough to know that the GPS system, okay, may be causing a problem, and most systems can handle it, but you know what? I don't know about all the systems that are out there. Therefore, I cannot tell you that you will not have a GPS problem, because I don't know what system you're using. So I got to fudge it a little bit. Why? Because I'm chicken, and I'm not going to give you a guarantee. So we have to qualify that statement just a little bit. And we do the following. If you cannot set the time, then most likely you cannot have a time-related problem. See, we're chickens. We didn't have 100% confidence, and that was the whole problem in Y2K. We could never be absolutely certain of anything, we said. Well, except the, the statement, hey, some of your PCs won't work. How do we know? Because I have one. It doesn't work. QED. We also have to add another little qualifier to this. It's possible to have an embedded system where I can't set the time, but that little embedded system is connected to the outside world somehow. And it could be picking up the time from somewhere in the, let's call it a network, unbeknownst to me. So the final statement was, if you cannot set the time, then most likely you cannot have a time-related problem unless something unbeknownst to you is setting the time. So there's a couple of little loopholes here. And this was stated by me uh, for one point of reference only in Datamation, June 1997, in an article called The Snake and the Silicon. The problem was real. We didn't how, know how pervasive it was. We had a rule of thumb for saying, if this is true, then chances are you don't have an issue. Okay. It gets more complicated. And for this one, we're going to have to go into the weeds a little bit, and I apologize for that. Now, I'll make a statement now, and at the end, I'll repeat it. If you want an article that gets into the part that I'm going to discuss, send me an email. My email's at the end. Send me an email and ask for a crock of clocks. Uh, there were two parts to that article that was published on the year2000.com, where I tried to put a nail in the coffin of this whole business that I'm going to discuss right now. It is a technical article. We'll get into a little bit of the technicality here, hence the in, we're heading into the weeds. Um, it is complicated, and I don't remember ever discussing this in a media interview, and I did more than 2,000 of them. Why? Because it's too complicated. But it needs to be part of the historical record, and that's why we're going to do it. Basically, it has to do with a peculiar notion that someone came up with that basically attacked the earlier statement I made that if you can't set the clock, then you can't have a Y2K problem. You can't have a timing issue. The notion was arose is that, well, Peter, what if there's a hidden clock we don't know about? And the thing was called hidden secondary clocks. Now, it was known as HSC. It was the HSC embedded system problem. Now, why it was secondary clocks, I have no idea. I didn't understand it then, and I still don't understand why this phrase, this label, became the way we spoke about this problem. The notion was is that, okay, Peter, you've said that if you cannot set the time, then most likely you cannot have a time-related problem unless something unbeknownst to you is setting the time. And that provided them two openings. 
One was the most likely, and the other one was the unless something unbeknownst to you is setting the time. The unbeknownst to you was this notion that there was a clock you couldn't see in the computer, in the device that you were talking about. And it was that secondary clock that was going to cause the problems for us. Fair enough. I mean, if it's hidden, I can't say with certainty it's not there. But it made no sense to me. And that's what the crock of clocks. And yes, the, uh, the, the title of the article is, was deliberately and pointedly chosen because I never had much stock in this argument at all, as you'll see. Okay. In your computer, there isn't really a clock in the way that most people think of clocks. What there is in the hardware is a little timer. It's counting off the seconds or milliseconds, whatever it is, they vary. And it's basically going tick, 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 tick. That's all it's doing. And as a part of the hardware of your device, what's happening is that, well, there's a counter. And the counter is basically counting each beat of that timer. And that's all it is. It's a, it's a counter. It could be three characters, highly unlikely. They are typically more than three characters long, three digits long. They could be nine digits. This is that counter that's counting off the number of seconds from January the 1st, 1980. The thing I mentioned earlier, right at the start of this particular episode. And it's counting off how many seconds have expired since a certain point in time. And that's understood by the computer and all the programs and processes that deal with that. But in the embedded system, it's not just got a counter, because a counter by itself, if you access the counter, then you would have to do a whole bunch of calculations. Now, since those calculations are going to be the same every single time, there's actually a piece of embedded code in your embedded system. Now, there are a couple of problems. You take the counter and you pass it through this code. And what the code has to do is say, OK, here's the number I have. This is how many seconds have passed since January the 1st, 1980. What day is it today based upon that counter? And it's a rather complicated little calculation. Well, first off, it's how many seconds in a day. And it's also counting minutes and hours. And how many seconds in a minute? And when you get to a certain number, it's going to tick over. So when you get to 61 seconds, it's going to tick over to the next minute. How many minutes in an hour? Well, that's 60 minutes in an hour. How many hours in a day? Well, that's 24. How many days in a month? Well, which, with, which month is it? Because that has a consequence as well. Oh, and is it a leap year? This is where the leap year problem slips in quite often, because it has to figure out, well, is this a leap year or not? Oh, and by the way, if you're only using a two-digit year, well, it's pretty difficult to figure out what leap year it is, because the leap year calculation relies on three digits for the year, not two. This is the source of a lot of the leap year problems that we run into. There are the three rules, right? Divisible by 4, divisible by 100, divisible by 400. Well, of those three rules, only one works with a two-digit year. This is where a lot of leap year problems slip into. So this is all very, very complicated. Okay, There is a counter, which we've already seen problems with that counter. 
when the counter exceeds the number of digits in the counter, it overflows and is incorrect. You pass that incorrect one to the code, you get the incorrect date. And there's also the year 2000 problem in it because it's using a two-digit year. All of this is happening. Now, the notion of the hidden secondary clock is that this is happening and you don't know about it. <laughs> now, there's some really interesting little things. First one is, when does the counter start ticking? Well, for a counter to start ticking, it needs to have, well, power. Where's it getting the power from if the computer's off? Which is sort of a, a little bit of a problem with this notion of the secondary clock. When does the counter start? If it starts the first time you turn on the computer, well, then it's not counting the number of seconds from a particular date. It's counting the number of seconds from when you turned on the computer. So right off the bat, that date is incorrect. I put all of this together, and we then put out a challenge, sort of the way I did when we wrote that initial article about the PC. Set the date to a certain time, turn off your computer, wait five minutes, turn it back on, and I immediately get hundreds of responses. Well, we do the same thing with this challenge, except this time we, we attached a reward. I think it was something like $100, something trivial, but enough to get someone sending in a, a response. And it was, if you have a device that has a hidden secondary clock problem, then send me the name of the device, serial number, date of manufacture. In other words, you need to identify it because we're going to be following up on it. At this point, the website is getting more than a million hits a month. It is being tapped into by media all over the place. So anything we post there is getting worldwide exposure. Who knows how many millions of people are looking at this thing? We didn't receive a single response to the challenge in the entire time we ran this contest. To the best of my knowledge, there were no hidden secondary clock problems that I'm aware of. So a summary. We did have and are still having problems with embedded systems. The New York parking meters was in many ways an embedded system problem. This was January of this year. 14,000 of them couldn't handle credit cards the first week of January. And someone had to go out and replace a piece of hardware in the devices to get them to work properly. Same thing in Poland. We had registers, cash registers out in Poland. And on January the 1st, they stopped working correctly. They didn't stop entirely. They just start producing a couple of, well, significant bits of information of, through the cash register. They're printing the receipts issue. That was another example of embedded systems. And then there was the problem with the trains in Hamburg in the first week of January of this year. Now, I'm not quite certain whether that was embedded system problems or whether it was just coding problems. But I know that the first two were embedded system problems. So these problems still exist. The hidden secondary problems never materialized. Again, we, we put out a reward, not much of a bounty, 
but enough to get someone back. Certainly, we didn't put no bounty out when we put out the first article about your PC rollover issues, and we received hundreds of responses. But we never received a single response when we put out the bounty on a hidden secondary clock device that had a problem. To the best of my knowledge, who knows? Maybe there was one out there we never heard about. So, in the true spirit of being true to Dunning-Kruger, I don't know the answer to the best, you know, best of my knowledge. Maybe there was a device out there that had a problem. Conclusion. The money we spent on embedded systems was well spent. When a oil company looks at a refinery and determines that, yeah, we have a problem, and if we don't fix it, production will cease. The money they spent on fixing that problem, searching for it, identifying it, and then fixing it was all well spent. And if you looked for an embedded system and you found nothing, it was still well spent. Because until you look, you don't know. And a lot of effort was spent looking for problems that in the end didn't turn up. But many of the searches did turn up problems. And we needed to do that work. And that's what we did. Here's a bold statement. The effort spent on looking for hidden secondary clocks was a complete and utter waste of time. And I'm stating that only with perfect 2020 hindsight. Because at the time, we didn't know that. But it turns out, when you don't find a single example of that concern, we wasted our time, unfortunately. And this particular episode should highlight that Y2K was never just a two-digit ear problem. It was a problem with rollover counters. Uh, the GPS problem had nothing to do with two-digit ears. It had nothing to do with Y2K. It just so happened to make itself known in 1999. Now, here's a question worth asking. How many other rollover problems are we going to encounter in the next little while? How many more systems have we created that have an expiry date short of the lifetime that we expect to use the system? In 2038, we have another one coming up. I'm not an expert in that one. I haven't devoted the time. I do not know how prevalent it is. I do know that it is real. So if you're using that type of system where the 2038 problem is an issue, start working on it now. Because before you know it, it's going to be right around the corner. We have 18 years left. I know. Someone will fix it by then. It's not on your watch, right? And again, a reminder. If you'd like a copy of the two-part article, A Crock of Clocks, published in July 1999, send a request to pdauger at technability.com. This was the 10th episode of Y2K and Autobiography. The premium content for it is on www.vimeo.com slash on-demand slash Y2K. I'm continuing to do the weekly interviews. Uh, I have about 14 or 16 interviews lined up 
And for some strange reason, even though we're all in COVID-19 lockdown, these are moving slowly. Part of the problem is convincing people that their, their recollections of Y2K, their stories, their anecdotes have value. If you were involved in Y2K, if you know anybody who was involved in Y2K, at the very, very least, point them to the podcast, will you? If you're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, write a review. It doesn't have to be even be complimentary. You might hate my guts. You might find this boring. If you are, though, I'm wondering why you're listening at all. But by all means, spread the word. This is of relevance to anyone who works in IT, anyone who works on systems that last out into the future. And I believe that there are some lessons to be learned here, not necessarily from me, but the anecdotes by themselves have lessons for us in a society where we depend so much upon computers. You'll find this on Podbean and iTunes and just do a general Google search for Y2K and autobiography. If you want to contact me directly, pdogger, P-D-E-J-A-G-E-R, at technobility.com. The technobility part is interesting. I was once in a cubicle listening to someone berate a user, and he called the user a techno-peasant which offended me at so many different levels. And I decided we're not techno-peasants. We're tech-nobility. We're in control of computers. We're in control of our destiny. We're the nobility. Tech-nobility. We control the computers. Be nice if we got it right every now and then, wouldn't it? Take care, folks. I hope my stuffed-up nose wasn't too bad. Be good. Oh, by the way, it's not COVID. Please. Be good, be safe, and we'll get through this. Take care.